Hi, Smarties. We are so excited to bring you this on-air coaching call with Janice. Today, we chat with Janice about her parenting experience with two very different children. Janice's daughter, Rose, is a fourth grader who has perfectionistic tendencies that emerge in math. Joe is a kindergartner who's really kinesthetic and struggling with at-home learning. It's so incredibly common for us to talk to parents who are parenting two completely opposite children. It's so fun for us to tackle that subject in this episode, as well as we coach Janice on a bunch of different ways to incorporate both her kids' needs into one activity. When you have two different kids, it doesn't mean you necessarily have to separate activities for them to improve on certain skill sets. Also, if you haven't joined Patreon yet, what are you waiting for? It's so natural for us to continue the conversation that we're having with guests off air, and now we get to offer that extra bonus content for you guys. Today, you'll hear the bonus content from our conversation with Janice about what a kinesthetic learner means, and I give her a bunch of game suggestions. Rach even popped in with one or two. <laughs> Go to www.patreon.com slash learnsmarterpodcast to join. In exchange for supporting us through a minimum of a $5 donation through Patreon, you'll get more of this type of content and other behind-the-scenes stuff that we post only there. By supporting us, you'll allow us to continue to do the work we do here of expanding educational therapy awareness and resources. Now, let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode 106 of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Rachel Cap, And I'm Stephanie Pitts. And today, we're so excited to welcome Janice here. Yay! Yay! <laughs> For an on-air coaching call. We've met Janice through online community. Yeah. And you're like the perfect on-air coaching call for us. We're really excited. First of all, we love doing on-air coaching calls and it's been a minute, but I'm really excited about the topics that we're going to talk about today because we've talked about some of this stuff, but I don't think we've spent a lot of time talking about it. So I'm excited to do a whole episode, but Janice, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your family and kind of bring us up to speed. Sure. Well, I'm really excited to be here as well because we could definitely use some help. We've got some good stuff going on at home with the kids and we've got some areas for improvement for sure. So I am a married mom of two kids. I have a grade four daughter named Rose and a kindergartner named Joe. And they're amazingly wonderful, energetic, creative kids who are a ton of fun to be with. But we do have some challenges when it comes to school for both of them. Some of them are because of the world that we're living in right now. Mm. The household learning is definitely presenting a challenge for our younger student. He loves school and he loves learning. And I say he just requires a lot of input. And it's really hard for me to recreate that excitement and energy at home. Right. And then my grade four daughter... She is really a great student and she's super conscientious and she tries really, really hard, but sometimes that translates into some perfectionism. And with missing the school for the last few months and going into fifth grade next year, we really just want to make sure that we're setting her up for success in the fall and that she's not going to feel really anxious and overwhelmed by the heavy ramp up that we're expecting specifically in math. 
So first I want to say regarding Rose that every kid is going to be behind. And so the ramp up, it's not going to look like the usual ramp up in October that you usually see because the teachers are going to have to reteach a lot of fourth grade. Yeah. So just know that number one. You know, if we can look at distance learning, really, they still have to finish fourth grade, even though they're going to be in fifth grade. It's just going to look different. So if there's some language that we can put around that, I'm sure she knows that everybody else is in the same position, still feeling like not being able to finish fourth grade. Yeah. It's hard for a lot of kids, especially because fourth grade is hard. Yeah. They do learn a lot. And so everybody is going to be coming in with a deficit and it's going to take at least 18 months to catch everybody up. That's really helpful because even just at the end of the school, the first few days when they were calling off school, she was anxious about going back because she was thinking about all of the test prep she was missing for the state testing. So immediately she's relating to how she's going to react to the return environment. But I think you're right. Explaining that the return environment is not going to be what she's used to. Right. And that all the students are going to be on a different path now for a while will be really important for her. I have some really, really anxious kids in my practice. And I know Rach does too, but I'm thinking of one student in particular, a very similar profile to your daughter, and I have them opt out of state testing. I'm just going to put that out there. That's good to know. I'm a big fan of this idea. And I didn't know that you were doing that. And I think it's pretty genius because it's an interesting thing that the kids become concerned about state testing because... I don't remember thinking twice about it. So I'm not sure what's shifted in the language around testing that has kind of resulted in this younger group of kids who really get nervous about it. I don't know if it's at-home conversations. My guess is that it would be primarily at school, the conversations around testing. But we believe all kids want to do well. And so if there's a lot of attention of, okay, we're doing this to prepare for state testing, Mm -hmm. that would have increased my anxiety around it. For sure. So I love the idea of... Just saying, you know what, this isn't important to your life's success. It's not. In our family, we hardly look at this, which I'm sure you're doing, Janice. It's just not putting a lot of weight on it because there's so many other factors of why we do the testing that have nothing to do with that individual student, mm-hmm. right? It's about funding. There's like so many different layers to it that are such adult reasons for doing something. It breaks my heart that that was where her concern was because what is the consequence There is no consequence of doing well, nothing happens, and of not doing that great, also nothing happens. Whenever we get these kids who are anxious about something, even honestly, high schoolers who get anxious about a test or an assignment, we go through the thought exercise in our practice of, okay, what is the worst case scenario that you can imagine? Mm -hmm. Well, I won't pass. Okay, and then what? Well, my parents might be upset. Well, They might be upset if you didn't put any effort in, but just by having this conversation, it tells me they're not going to be upset because they know that you feel this way. Okay, so you fail and then what? Well, I'm going to get a bad grade in the class and then I'm not going to get into college. You're going to get into college. That's a given. It's just a matter of which college. It's all about how much you can tolerate. Mm -hmm. So it just breaks my heart. She's so young to be 
experiencing that. My client, who is also a fourth grader, and I'm telling you, an exact (laughs) same profile with math and all of that. And I had them opt out last year. And when we took that off the table, she lightened up. At first, she was really worried that it would be different and why wouldn't she do it? But then when I looked at it and explained to her why we were doing this and why she didn't need to take part in it, she just became super happy and excited and felt such a relief. And they went out of town during testing. Yeah. Good for them. (laughs) Exactly. And she was super excited and they had a great family trip. And it was like she didn't miss anything at all. And she was so happy that she didn't have to do all that stress anymore. And for a little kid, yeah. Yeah. I didn't even know she was worried about that, yeah. right? And then my son is jumping for joy when school's being called off. Yeah, and I'm yeah. expecting that reaction from her. And so when she told me the reason, it was really, really heartbreaking mm-hmm. that this is what she's worried about when we're not worried about it, right? Right. So that's really great feedback. And I didn't know that it's an option to opt out. They don't tell you that. Yeah. We can. <laughs> yeah. hey smarties this is rachel i just wanted to pop in here and just say that we hope you're enjoying this on-air coaching call i have to say on-air coaching calls are some of our favorite episodes to produce because frankly we just really like talking to people and it's fun to problem solve together on air for you guys but the real reason i'm popping in here is because you heard it last week and i just wanted to remind you again that we are relaunching learn smarter pro learn smarter pro is our 6 week program for professionals where there will be professional and individualized support, behind the scenes, business trainings, group coaching, and more. We will be doing trainings in this group that will never be offered on this podcast. So if you're interested, we have decided to reopen the applications for Learn Smarter Pro. The group will be kept small by design. So reach out to us now and we'll send you more details and the application. We will also be including the application in the show notes for this episode. And we will only be accepting applications until June 17th. So don't wait on applying to this program. We don't know if we're going to ever offer it again. And we know how many of you are interested. Thank you so much for those of you who reached out to us and asked us to launch it. Honestly, we just needed a little bit of time to recalibrate after all the world shifts in the past couple of months, but we're ready and excited. We're so excited about this group. So we can't wait to get it going. And again, the application is in the show notes. Now, Back to the episode with Janice. We're recording this in May of 2020, so we're still under a stay-at-home order here in California, and we're dealing with this world pandemic, but there's something unique that I don't know that we've talked about on the podcast with how quickly the world shifted. Mm -hmm. I've never in my life could have imagined that in one weekend... Everything would be different in the way that we live our lives, literally how our day-to-day goes. And parents prep their kids for things. And there was no opportunity to prep. And I needed more prep. So I can't even imagine the disruption for little people and little dudes, as we call them. Mm -hmm. It's really a tremendous shift. So I think we're two months in and we've hit our stride in what this is. But we're all having that fear about what is going back to 
living our lives going to look like. Mm -hmm. And so kind of framing it for our people that we don't know, but we're going to be flexible as a family because we might be able to do stuff and then they might take away that option again because we don't know what's going to happen. So we just have to practice that flexibility, which leads me into some questions about the perfectionism with math because Hi, result of that, that was me. Because mm-hmm. I was very, very used to doing well. I was a high performing student. I'm still a high performing yeah, adult. I was going to say. <laughs> this is something that I still struggle with, but it's gotten better. Steph, don't you think it's gotten better? It has, yeah, definitely. So I'm curious how you kind of see that manifest itself, Janice. So we see it manifest in physical symptoms. Okay. She gets a lot of headaches and stomach aches when she's stressed out. You know, you can just see the general worry in her. We see it really seasonally. So the beginning of the school year, she's a really excited kid. She wants to go to school. She loves her teachers. She wants to learn. But then we see this really big dip where she doesn't feel well. She doesn't want to go to school. She doesn't think she can. And we really got to pull her through the winter and then get her out of it. And then she ends usually the school year on a high note after the testing, ironically enough. But (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's a physical issue for her that's taken us a while to see that it's the anxious feelings and the perfectionism from school. We don't hear it from her teachers. Her teachers actually don't know often because she's very private Mm -hmm. and wouldn't want to draw attention to herself in the classroom. So she's not a kid who's about to raise her hand and say, hey, I'm confused. I need help. And me talking to the teachers and saying, we need to work on this. And they're like, oh my gosh, we're surprised because she's a really smart kid in other ways. And she's emotionally really intelligent that she can read people and she knows how to work the room. Yeah. So she can hide it pretty well. And while she has to work a little bit at math, you know, her math grade is fine. Right. It's not a matter of the math or performance. It's the feeling and then the anxiety causing her to lose attention and the ability to focus in the classroom. Okay. So my question to you is how much language do you guys have around this anxiety in your home? Is anxiety a word that comes up in your house or do you not really talk about it? We talk about it now okay? because we now realize that that's an issue and it's an issue enough that it can manifest in physical symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So we first thought, we first thought that there was something else going on. Right. And so we talk about it more because we think it's important to recognize and not ignore it. Yeah. Do we use all the right language? I don't know. And we try to often address it, not to like highlight or put a spotlight on it, but to talk about when we might feel it also. Good to talk about how we deal with it, if that makes sense. Perfect. That's exactly what you should be doing. Stay the course with that because she is looking to you guys on how to model this behavior and how to model the coping mechanisms. And I would use those words. I'm feeling very nervous about this because sometimes I have to work harder, but I'm just going to take a deep breath. I'm going to go take a bath, like whatever you do to kind of recenter. And then I'm going to give it another go. And if something's difficult, I'm going to walk away from a minute because I feel myself getting frustrated. You just start modeling that language and then you can start asking her, hey, Rose, I'm feeling like this. What's a good idea of what I can do when I feel like that? Mm -hmm. Because right now, even talking to you about it, you know what? That's making me feel better. 
I'm going to put a list up on the refrigerator. So I have a place to go to. Like you make it all about yourself. Mm -hmm. So I'm building that toolbox. Sometimes I forget what to do. So I'm just going to put it up on the refrigerator. What was that idea you just gave me? That's a really good idea. I'm going to write that down. I really appreciate you helping me out. So it kind of like allows her to be in her zone of comfort, which is knowing what to do. Mm -hmm. But you're also teaching her how to respond in those scenarios. And then I would also make her aware of this pattern from the last couple of years. I think she's old enough. Okay. And prior to the start of the school year. That's helpful. We don't want to wait until it's already happening because then we're already in it. Mm -hmm. When you notice the first sign, you've had the baseline of the conversation. We've noticed this the past couple of years, and we want you to come talk to us about it. And then there's a couple of things that you can do within the content of the material itself to kind of make her feel more supported in math, which might require extra work from you or extra partnership from the teacher, but you're trying to avoid the real dip that you've noticed in her. And I would recommend that you get the work in advance. 100%. Okay. Prime her for the material a little bit. So the first time she's seeing it is in a safe, comfortable place. And then the second time she sees it will get reinforced by the teacher, but she's already familiar with it. Mm -hmm. That makes sense because in the classroom, I think the first time she's seeing things, she's really struggling with retaining anything that first time because she's having the whole analysis in her head that this is hard and everybody else understands it and she doesn't know what she's doing. We all tell ourselves this story that everybody else is understanding it, right? Yeah. It's such a bummer that it's so hard to be that vulnerable with our peers. And it is, and we shouldn't expect it from kids. But yeah, believe me, you can let her know. I know so many kids in your class who have tutors. Yeah. Nobody tells anybody. Mm -mm. Yeah, exactly. In our family, we're not ashamed of asking for help. That's what we do. So tell everybody. There's no shame in that game. That's why we love when our clients get to the point that they're telling their friends that they go to educational therapy. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. that's a sign that they're confident in asking for help. And that is the ultimate life skill. That's how you need to respond in a partnership with somebody. That's how you need to respond to a boss. People respect the ask. Yeah. And thinking with my client, math is a huge trigger for her. And when I started teaching her tricks and things when I was previewing the material, she started going in and teaching her teacher some of the things that I had taught her. Yeah. Her teacher and I have a great partnership, so yeah. she knows. And she'll say, oh, Stephanie taught me this. And she gets to teach her class now Yeah. if there's something cool or <laughs> something that she already knows how to do. It wasn't as if she really didn't understand always the stuff she knew, but it was the new material that came in that was really the trigger. And so when I taught her last year how to skip count and be able to do multiplication before her peers, she would walk in and go, oh, I know this before everybody else. She was just so proud of herself. And she understands that when I say, okay, let's look at what's coming up, she knows why I'm doing that because we've had lengthy conversations. And the other thing is, and Rachel and I say this all the time, kids are looking to you on how you deal with mistakes. Yes. So if you can 
make a mistake, even if you don't actually make a mistake, but make it look like you make a mistake. So she can witness how you recover and how you fix the situation because the anxiety is coming from not being able to know what to do or how to handle it. And when you see your parents be able to rebound from a mistake, you know, even if it's a quote unquote mistake that you planted, she's seeing how you're recovering and that will give her the tools to be able to know how to handle it for herself. So sometimes on purpose in session, I will literally do the wrong calculation and literally the kid will say, Stephanie, two plus two is not five. And I'll go, oh, absolutely right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It's actually four. You're right. No big deal. Yeah. Now I see it. No big deal. You just corrected me. Thank you for letting me know. Yep. I'm so glad you noticed. And here's the other thing. The priming and the pre-teaching of information is not a lifetime of that. What ends up happening is you build up the confidence, you build up their ability to rebound, you build up those other kind of compensatory skills around learning in that particular subject, because guaranteed, there's going to be something later on down the road, and you want her to have those skills to fall back on. So it's not a lifelong sentence. I have kids who I've previewed with, and I don't anymore. I'm just kind of following up and making sure all is good. Sometimes I'm tweaking because they have certain diagnoses that I'm like, this is going to be a problem down the road. So I want you to do it like this. But for the most part, that's like a phase of this process. So I didn't want you to feel like, oh my gosh, she's going to be in calculus one day. And how do I pre-teach her that? It's not going to be like that at that point. Good call. That's helpful. Fourth grade and fifth grade coming up look different than middle school and look different than high school. And so we do wonder like what we're doing today, how does it affect going forward? But knowing that this is a phase and then if it needs to be changed as she gets older or she might not actually need it, that's helpful. We try so hard not to put the pressure on her for mistakes, but what you told me about showing her our mistakes, I think is really important because while we're not trying to put pressure on her, I don't know that we're taking the opportunity to teach her about the mistakes that we are making. It's a really powerful modeling tool. I've told this story on the podcast before that I was seeing this perfectionism. I used to teach preschool. I was seeing perfectionism to the extent that this little girl would not attempt an activity until she had kind of taken it home and practiced it at home. So when she came into school, it would be perfect. And I had a conversation with her mom. I'm like, look, she's got to be willing to fail here. We got to make it comfortable for her in the classroom so that she can do those things. And I said, okay, so talk to me about what mistakes looked like at your house. What's the language around it? And her mom looked at me and she goes, I don't make mistakes. (laughs) And I was like, oh, you got to start making some mistakes. You're going to become really good at making fake mistakes. Yeah. And she's like, I got it. Mm -hmm. She's like, I can be perfect at making fake mistakes. I was like, right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they're always watching. They are. They're always watching how to respond to the world. And that could be anything from like, you're following a recipe and cooking dinner together and you do it in a different order and you go, oh, probably nothing's going to happen. Yeah. Or if it is. I have more ingredients, so let me just make it again. Yeah, (laughs) no big deal. Yeah. In terms of like the actual math fact recall, 
Mm-hmm. Just like some ed therapy advice, we've talked about it on the podcast. We just aired an episode a couple of weeks ago. We'll link it in the show notes with Mr. DeMeo, who has this amazing YouTube channel. And we teach math facts through music. Oh. And she will learn it quickly mm-hmm. and she will learn it well. And you'll never have to ask her again because she'll be able to do it. So this is, so I'll just kind of show you what we do. So right now I'm holding both of my hands up and your left hand is finger one. Like, so your pinky finger is finger one. Your ring finger is finger two, three, four, five. And then your thumb on your right hand is six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And what you do is you're going to play the songs you want teach her to use her hands in learning the material. And then you can even draw on a piece of paper, do the outline of her hand and label each finger. And then what you're doing is you're playing the songs over and over again. So it's three, six, nine, 12, 15, and 18, 21, 24, 27, then comes 30. It's a little jingle. I don't think I know his three songs off the top of my head, but it's a little jingle and you'll all remember it forever. And then when she goes three times six, you go to the six finger, but you go three, six, nine, 12, 15, and 18. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. Okay. She uses on the paper touch math a lot. Yeah, that's great. But it's still requiring her to do the math. So what you're telling me is something that she can do for the quick recall, which is super helpful and we need. Because music is stored in a different part of the brain. So kids remember it a lot, lot faster. And it's the reason we remember songs from 25 years ago, because our brain doesn't necessarily prune music because it's not an area that stores that much information for us. It's not like we need to get rid of that to store a new song necessarily. Right. The way we would when you drill and kill the math. Mm -hmm. And it makes kids crazy to do like, okay, what's three times four? What's five times eight? Right? I hated that and it caused a lot of pressure for me. Mm -hmm. So I can only imagine for kids, I wish I had had singing along to songs as a mechanism for learning these math facts because it was really hard for me. Yeah, agreed. It was hard for me too. And I've told this before, and I talked about this in episode 103, that I taught a kid that has a traumatic brain injury how to sing the songs. And she knows all the melodies, all the jingles. She can go through and she knows them. And the thing that happens really often that we see with some teachers and even some parents, that it looks like a failure to use your hands. Yeah. There's some stigma around it. And Rachel and I fundamentally believe that your hands are always with you, right? They're not going anywhere. So use them. Why wouldn't you? Use them. Absolutely use them. And if you can make it fun, you know, I've even told some of the kids that I've taught Mr. DeMeo's songs to, to teach their friends. Yes. And when they teach their friends, obviously it gets even deeper into their understanding when that's one of the fundamental ways to learn something is to teach it, right? But also it makes them look really cool. And their friends then want to learn it too, because his songs are so catchy. I wake up sometimes and I have them still in my head and I know them just like that, like just snap a finger. I can pull it out at this point because I've listened to it enough times. But it's one of those things where I can remember in third grade, we learned the states in alphabetical order in a song. Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas. But I still know it. Why? Exactly. 
I don't need that information anymore. You don't. But occasionally, <laughs> it's been useful, right? When you play that game of how many states can you name in 10 minutes, I'm like, I'm good. You can win. <laughs> it's come in handy a couple times in my life. You know, all these years later, I still know it by heart. It's no big deal. I can just pull it out. So it's going to be one of those things, like Rachel said, that for the rest of her life, you know, pretty often adults forget their multiplication facts. And yeah, we have calculators on our phones and whatnot, but it's going to be one of those things where it's going to be really easy for her. Yeah, it turns something that was difficult into something pleasurable. Yeah, I love this idea. I think it's perfect for her. Let us know. Send us a video when she's doing all of them. Yeah. She'll love it. We've talked a lot about Rose, but in terms of Joe, just remind us a little bit about kind of what you're seeing with this homeschooling stuff or schooling at home. He really loved the structure of school. And we've learned through stay at home that he's kind of an extreme extrovert. So this is not his preferred environment. So in school, he, in the beginning of the year, I feel like he kind of tests a teacher out. You know, he was in preschool in the past, so he'll kind of test a teacher out. And he had a really amazing kindergarten teacher who, when he said, no, I'm not going to do this, she said, no, we're going to sit down and I'm going to do it with you. And they built a really good relationship and she was firm but caring and she got him to do the work and he's done an amazing job. He's learning his words, he's reading, he's doing his little math and it's great, but I just can't get him to do it at home without a fight. I've tried creating a structure, I've tried making it fun and at the end of the day, he's just not into it. And I think what you were talking about before with the lack of our ability to like prep our kids for this, he's a kid who requires some prep on transition mm -hmm. and we didn't give it to him. And in this house, he doesn't see it as school. So at home, he's really high energy and he has to sit a long time at school. And so home is always the place where he's free to go and be physical and be outside and keep doing. And so I think he's really having a hard time just flip-flopping that, if that makes sense. What is his day like? Are they doing Zoom school? What does it look like for you? No. Our school system is not doing Zoom for the younger ones for academic purposes. So they had their first Zoom call with their class yesterday, but that was just kind of like a show and share. And it was this far in. Oh, wow. And two months in. Yeah. So we've been out since the beginning of March. Wow. We have a packet of materials. And when we were in school, he would read nightly with me, yeah. right? Like he'll pick up a book. But now picking up a book and reading, he'll fall over and he'll say, I'm too tired. I can't do it. So, you know, it's all directed by me. He doesn't feel that there's any oversight from the teacher. If there was oversight from the teacher, I think that alone would get him to do the work. So we've tried different things. You know, we're trying to do things on the ground with math, with dominoes. We're using the suggestions of the school, but it's not like it's online learning. We have some applications that we use through the school. He doesn't like to learn that way. He'll watch a science video and enjoy that. But, you know, we use Raz Kids, for instance. Mm -hmm. He doesn't like it. We use Dreambox for math. He doesn't like it. He would rather do it on a piece of paper or in person than he would on the computer. So he's a kinesthetic learner. Kinesthetic. So 
here's my question. How much communication do you have with this teacher? Not a ton, but we can email her back and forth or have a conversation. Yeah. Okay. So what I would recommend is have her send him a video of herself talking and say, look, these are the things that are super important. So what I want you to do is every time you finish one of them, send me a video back. Also, I miss your face. So it'll make me feel really good to see. And then show me kind of what you've done. But have her highlight to you also what is absolutely essential. What do you need to be like really fighting for? Because it can't be all the things. So have her prioritize it for you. Reading, maybe switch that to first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. And also he doesn't necessarily right now need to read to you. It's just about engagement with the book and with the material. Decoding is only one part of reading. It's also understanding the story and you can work on those skills just by reading to him and then switch up the time of day And then say, you know what, still at night, the school reading is like in the morning, but we as a family, that's how we wind down and that's how we go to bed. So we're still going to do five minutes. And if you fall asleep, that's totally okay. That's okay with me. If you fall asleep, I'll just stop reading to you. But if you're saying that like his desire to please her is the element that's missing, let's just have her become part of the equation. It takes her no time, I'm sure she would be fine to have that interaction with him back. Yeah. A lot of kids are using Flipgrid. Mm-hmm. I don't know that. It's sort of like these little video clips that they can make. They can talk about what's going on or explain or something. And some of the kids are explaining a project or working on something for their teacher and the teacher wants them to make a Flipgrid. And so they just do this little video and they turn it in. It's like Loom. Are you familiar with Loom, Janice? No. Oh, that's a tool you need to know. You would really like that. Yeah. (laughs) Loom is just talking to camera and you can share your screen and sometimes it can only be your screen. Sometimes it's only you talking to camera, but it's a really fast way to kind of show somebody what's on your computer or what you're doing on your screen. That's in your professional life. Yeah, that's for your professional stuff. But I'm sort of also thinking of it a little bit like a TikTok. A lot of the kids seem to like it. And I always advocate for reading as a family. So if you can pick a book and you can read it to both your kids, like Harry Potter or whatever it is that you guys are into and read it as a family, then he's got his sister engaged. And that sounds really cool to be reading a big kid book, right? Yeah. So that's one thing. The other thing is because he's a kinesthetic learner, I don't know if you have a trampoline or if you have a basketball hoop or something that he can put some sports or activity into what he's learning. So if you're getting that shortened assignment, basically what are the essential things he needs to be working on? And also if you need to, shorten those assignments. Mm -hmm. Shorten the concept and then shorten how much he does of each concept, right? Then you can do one of those things where every time he jumps up in the air, he needs to say something. Or every time he takes a shot, he does something. Like you said, he needs a lot of input. And you can get that input from him moving throughout the world. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's what we're not doing. We're trying to like bring it all in to the academics. But what we need to do is bring the academics out to the activity. Exactly. And then Steph, do you want to talk to her a little bit about games? Oh, you know, I always like to play (laughs) games. Okay. So I love, 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 love games. 
And there's a lot of ways to use games to practice skills that kids don't even know that they're needing to practice or that they're practicing when we play them. And you can always take whatever games you have at home and you can uplevel them. Or I can give you some suggestions on some games in some areas that would be really helpful. But one of the games that is a really easy example that a lot of people know about is the game Guess Who? And you're supposed to pick your character, or I have a version of it where you can pick food and like animals or something. And you're asking yes or no questions, right? Does the person have glasses or does the person have brown hair? So instead of asking those kinds of questions, you want to learn how to ask questions that are bigger picture questions. And this is something that you would model for him and your daughter. It would be helpful for her as well. And it would be something like, did your person go to the eye doctor recently? Because they have glasses. Yeah. Right? Or did your person go to the mall and go to a hat store recently? Or can they get sunburnt on their head really easily? Because that person's bald in the picture, right? So yeah. those kinds of questions up-level a game that might seem too babyish, but the bigger kids get a kick out of playing games that they liked when they were little, Yeah. right? Even fourth graders that feel like, oh, I'm too big for that now. When you pull it out and you change it and you make it fun and be reminiscent of when they were little kids in their world, little kids, it changes how they approach the world. Believe me, I have hundreds of games in my office and they all do different things and you can use them differently. And also, I have some games that teach the same skill, but they're different. Mm -hmm. So when a kid gets bored of one game, I can pull out the next version of it and it's still working on the same skill. And those are skills like executive functioning skills you can use a game for. There's a lot of really fun math games. There's a lot of really fun reading games or money games or reading comprehension games. And the kids actually really, really like them because... It is for your son, who obviously likes the external input and probably is very competitive, if I had to guess. Even if he's playing against himself, that's going to give him the input he needs. Yeah, that's a great point. And as a family, we love to play games. So it's the perfect solution because it's a way to incorporate something we enjoy doing already. Right. And bring the learning in. And here's the other part that I like for Rose is I love the idea of changing the rules on her. Yeah. Yeah. Because that is going to show the kind of flexibility that you really want to be modeling. She's going to probably want to stick to the rules. Those are the rules. Yeah. If somebody tells me the rules, I respond a lot better. Not knowing in this pandemic what the rules are about to be, I'm struggling with that. But I need to have somebody flip the rules of the game on me so I can get some more practice on that too. And it could also be one of those things where you guys have her change the rules and teach them to you, mm -hmm. right? This is going to be a lot of different practice also. And then I posted on my Instagram recently a game that I had a student make. And we went through all the different parts of making a game, right? He had to make the board. He had to make the cards. He had to make the rules. We had to practice it to check for any problems that might arise. It was a huge project that we did over a summer and other kids come into my office and want to play it because it looks cool and it's fun. And it was a good project for him because it worked on so many different skills at once. So all you really need is a poster board and some color, honestly. And you can use other game pieces to create a new game. So that works on creativity and that works on her having to 
make something out of nothing and it's not following the rules that she knows. I love the way you're incorporating ways for Rose to take a position of authority, to be the one to create the game, to create the rules. Or, you know, with school, you talked about having your other student that could teach the class after she saw the material in advance. The self-esteem part of that is really important. And have her make a game for Joe. Yeah, she'd love to do that. Uh, Of course. I mean, I was that kid too. One last idea, and I've shared this on the podcast, I think many times, because it's really so smart. Do you know who Sarah Blakely is from Spanx? Yeah. So she talks about how failure was normalized in her family by her father. And it was one of the things he asked her every single day. What happened today? What did you really kill it at? And then what did you fail at? And she said, because of that, there was no stigma around failure because now she was looking for moments of failure throughout the day. So brilliant. It's so smart. It's just like in the way that if you keep a gratitude journal, now you're looking for moments to be grateful about. Mm -hmm. It removes the stigma of it. And maybe for her to start with you guys talking about your moments of failure Mm -hmm. throughout the day or like a moment of failure and then gradually expand it to ask them. Let's model it first that this is a conversation we talk about daily and then they'll start to talk about it daily as well because the success is in the failure, right? It's in the attempt. Mm -hmm. And so that's the constant reinforcement of like, I'm just so glad I tried. I'll do better on it next time. Yeah. And it's learning the recovery, right? And the kid that's very anxious, Yeah, being able to recover is going to make the difference of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that idea. I think it's great. Are there any final questions that you have for us, Janice? No, I think this is really great. You've given me a lot to work with, right? Specific to the kids, but then some ways to bring it together. Because that's sitting on the other side before this. I'm like, they both need something different. How do I do this? Right. But I think you've given me some ways to really teach them both what they need, but at the same time, make it kind of complimentary. So I think this is really great. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. It was so fun.